Welcome to Shine a Light On. Today we're continuing our How I Got Here series with software engineer Shireen Victor. Welcome, Shireen. Hi, Mariah. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me, friend. To start, can you give us all a brief introduction to who you are and what you're up to currently? Alrighty. Um, well, my name is Shireen Victor. Uh, I have been a software engineer at Google for the past uh, a little over two years. Um, the team that I currently work on is called InfraSpanner. So Spanner is the uh, distributed database system under Google Cloud Platform or GCP. And I work on the team that handles the infrastructure side of it. So um, not necessarily all the big cloud uh, customers, but a lot of the people who are quote unquote customers are other Google products um, in different areas and different product areas. This uh, is not just the two-ish years that I've been here. I've also been a two-time intern um, in Google when I was an undergrad student at Santa Clara. So you mentioned this briefly already, but maybe we can dive a little bit. What what aspect of software engineering? Because there are so many avenues you, you could choose if you really wanted to. So which aspect of software engineering are you particularly focused in? Um, and in general, from your experiences and knowledge, what, what does a software engineer even do day to day? Yeah, um, I'll, we can start with the second part of the question. So what technically does a software engineer do? Um, a software engineer at its very core is someone who knows how to write code and knows what code to write. And I think those are two uh, very interesting types of Qualification, So not just like understanding how um, code works, what the different languages are and knows how to put that through on a computer, but the engineering part of figuring out like, okay, what code is worthwhile to build? What kind of systems do we want to see um, or apps or products or things? And how can we creatively uh, create those solutions in a way that helps the people or helps the system or whatever product that we're trying to bring? Um, so that. It's a very general answer for what a software engineer does, um, but as it relates to me, I'm on the infrastructure side of it. So a lot of the code and the features that I write, um, you all probably will never see. And I really hope that you won't see because it's supposed to be very internal, uh, very behind the scenes work. I think uh, the joke that I tell is that if you are aware of the work that I do, then that means I've done something wrong. Um, but a lot of the things that we do is trying to build up um, our features so that they can scale. If you can think about anyone who or the amount of people who have some sort of uh, Google data or store in some system or any app that really uses a Google cloud, that's a lot of people and that's a lot of data day in and day out. And so um, Spanner's job, at least, is to try to house that data and make sure that it's reliable, um, that users can get their data as fast as possible wherever they need it to be, and that we get it to them as quickly as possible as it adheres to like a bunch of other restrictions um, that we can see from behind the scenes. Awesome. That makes sense. And you're, you mentioned you had a few internships at Google before starting your full-time role. Was it in the same space or were you exploring other, other things during those internships? Yeah, um, I had two internships at Google before I started and one internship um, at a different company that was still technically software engineering, but they've all been in the infrastructure uh, space. So a lot of behind the scenes work, a lot of um, helping the teams run tests or performance um, and trying to figure out how to best do things without releasing to uh, customers externally. Um, the last internship that I did was on the same team. And so it was a pretty easy conversion back onto the same team. I saw the same faces, said hi to them every morning the same way, um, that sort of thing. Then I may know the answer to this next question, but I was going to ask 
do you, did you get to choose this team you're on? Were you put there um, when you got a return offer? Like, could you choose something else and you decided to go with this team or how did that work? Yeah. So I basically went through um, team matching for the first couple of uh, times that I went through the internship process. So what that looks like in Google is that you work with a recruiter and you basically list your experiences and your preferences of what type of area of um engineering or software engineering you'd like to look into and other teams will do the same as to who they would like to fill in um, these roles whether that be someone who is a full-time SWE, um, someone who is an intern that sort of thing and so there's this magical algorithm behind the scenes that works to pair these people as quickly as possible um, and make sure that you either work with uh, a team that you can add or add a lot of value to and that they'll be able to also give you work that you'll find fulfilling. And so they try to make that match as easy as possible. Um, For me, since I was returning, the easiest place to start was to start with the returning team. Um, Since I did write some code and did a project that was successful, um, it showed that I was able to do the work, I was able to understand the work, and the team found some benefit in that. So that was the first place usually all returning interns start at. If it's not a match at that point or if headcount or things like that um, outside of the scope of that one internship fall into play, then you can start looking at other teams within the same kind of product space. Um, And that's very simplified version of how they'll match you. It usually takes a couple of weeks, a lot of conversations, that sort of thing. Awesome. That totally makes sense. And I'm curious from your perspective, knowing knowing what you know so far in your career, what do you think makes Google special in terms of being a software engineer at Google? What's sort of like different between that and being a software engineer anywhere else? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Um, I think the biggest things about being an engineer at Google and part of the reasons why I chose to come back after so many years um, is really the amount of resources that we have. I think there's a lot of really, really smart people at Google. And a lot of times you'll find yourselves in rooms with people who are a lot smarter than you um, in a good way, in the way that you can look at them and choose to gain uh, things through their life experiences, um, through their technical learnings through their developmental process. Uh, A lot of times you'll talk with people about a certain product or a certain framework or something um, that's very big. And then later you'll go back to your desk and realize, oh my goodness, wait, that was the creator of this big system. I can't believe I just had a conversation with them, right? So you will be able to talk with people who really, really know what they're doing. Um, And in that process, you'll also start to figure out that you will also get to know a little bit of what you're doing. Maybe you won't write the next big framework, but at least you'll talk with the people who do and they'll know you and you'll start that relationship and maybe you'll get started on the next project together. Um, I think the joke that everyone is only a ping away is very true. Uh, You can just ping or ping is an internal word that's usually used when you're talking about direct messaging someone on chat. So if I were to ping someone or email them and say, hey, I'm really curious about your role in this area or I'm curious about... um, what your job looks like as it relates to this product or what this new release is. Do you want to set up a lunch or something? And maybe we could go over it together. A lot of people are very willing to give you their time, uh, a lot of their mental space in order just to make you feel like you are a part of something bigger. And I think um, the access to people, the access to that knowledge and just the ability and the freedom to be curious in different places is one of the main reasons why I came back. Mm -hmm. That's great to have what feels like unlimited resources and especially Mm -hmm. if documentation is 
like well organized and accessible mm-hmm. that's always so nice and i can only assume a place like google has organized documentation um, mm-hmm. so that's great to hear and a little less about google more about you shireen i so shireen and i went to the same college and so i know for a fact that you studied computer science and engineering <laughs> mm-hmm. how impactful do you think that major was to your journey now? And do you think like internships or things outside of the classroom were a bit more helpful? Yeah, um, definitely. I remember going to classes with you like 8 a.m. in the morning and being like, why are we here? Um, <laughs> but it definitely did pay off. I think the the way in which our university set up computer science and engineering was really helpful in the sense that you had a lot of core uh CS related classes. So you had classes that would teach you, at least for us, it was a C, data structures and algorithms, a couple of different languages, uh, things that would teach you about the framework of how to think about these problems. And then you would have a lot of other like supplemental courses. So things like, I remember taking like linear algebra or like electrical engineering and circuits, um, a little bit of physics. So things that would still relate to Um, engineering, depending on which side of computer engineering or CS you'd go on. So if you go on something a little bit more low level, you're talking with a lot of like electrical boards or circuitry or things, you would still have the appropriate knowledge to talk about those problems and to solve them. Um, I think that was very helpful. I personally really liked the physics and the electrical engineering part of it, Um, be the biggest nerd in the room, you know, but I think the, the practicality of using those types of problem solving skills were very applicable at work, right? If something doesn't work, a problem doesn't work, or a test is keeps failing and you don't know how to solve it, um, what are the steps that you've learned uh, in lab or in class as to how to think about a creative solution? I think that was really helpful. Um, I think outside of the classroom, though, I didn't do too many like clubs and organizations as it relates to tech. I think I was still pretty involved in a few events, but a lot of the industry work that um, I found value in came from the internships and networking with people outside of either the classroom, outside of my university, um, but at these larger companies, either at career fairs or internships or those type of programs. Mm-hmm. Well, it's nice that you had some balance there because some people who I ask this question to are like, no, my internships were the only thing that helped me. But mm-hmm. to actually, you know, go to class with some intention and get like lessons, whether it's critical thinking skills or problem solving skills, I think I agree with you. Like the internships would be very hard if you didn't have that foundation. So I agree with you there. And what sort of skills or experiences do you think are critical for anyone who's interested in software engineering and maybe if you have any specifically for software engineers at Google, what do you think is like critical to know? Yeah, that, this one was actually a really good question. I thought about it for a bit. Um, and it's funny because the answers that I came up with are the three C's, which are very similar to our university's three C's. But the ones that I came up with are um, creativity, curiosity, and then comprehension. So um, at first, a software engineer is not just someone who knows the languages um, of CS or is just you know someone who is able to understand this very abstract field of knowledge, but it's also someone who is able to um, build and think in this like 
weird dimension, right? You can't really look at code on a table and put it together, right? But you are trying to think creatively about how do we solve this problem for a lot of users or how do we solve this problem for our product or for our business or things, right? You're, you have to be creative with the solutions that you bring, um, even if it's a different type of creativity than the arts or humanities or things, right? I still think um, engineers are very creative people, even if it means that their solutions or things um, are just different, right? Um, it's a novel way, but it's still still at its core, pretty creative. And I also think that someone who is interested in software engineering should be very curious um, because this field is so fast and so changing, right? There have been times where I'm at work and I'm trying to find some information on um, a new system or a new type of framework and I can't find it in the code. So I have to go through like the other questions that people have asked and like, answered and other Googlers, right? And sometimes I can't find answers there. So then I start searching on google.com for external users and all of a sudden I'm trying to figure out, okay, who has talked about this framework on Stack Overflow? Are there any blogs that talk about the, the way in which it's used, right? So it's also trying to be curious about the way in which um, the newest technologies or the newest ideas are coming forward and how can we use that in the products that we built today. Um, and the more that you keep learning and the more that you are curious, the more that your career in and of itself will start moving forward because you're able to keep up with these very new ideas. Um, sometimes I see people who have, have been with the most creative ideas or the newest things, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years back, which for most industries is fairly sufficient, right? You know, one thing, you know, it well, and you can keep that going on for your career. But for software engineers, it's very different because the world is changing with every single passing moment, right? Um, the amount of information we're getting and the reach of that information changes every single year exponentially. So to keep up with that is I would say something that um, someone who wants to be a part of software engineering in the future, they should definitely consider. And the last thing is comprehension or in parentheses, I put code comprehension. It's just also learning the language, learning the lingo, being able to learn on the job and be able to figure out, okay, what do I understand? What do I not understand? And one thing that I had to figure out in my career was how do I articulate the questions for the ideas that I don't understand, right? If you walk into a meeting with someone and they ask you like, hey, do you, do you get all the ideas on the board? And you say, no, I don't know or something like that, and you just leave it there, it becomes very unhelpful to the other person and yourself. Like no one knows what's happening. No one knows where you stop understanding. But if you tell them like, oh, I don't know everything, but I do understand, you know, the first 10 minutes of what you talked about, I just don't understand how this section relates to everything else, right? That Then you've given them a pretty good idea of what you do comprehend, um, what you need some help with, and maybe either they'll help you or they'll give you more resources or give you things that you can work with. Um, you're not expected to know everything. And if you are able to understand everything, amazing, you need to find another room in which you're not the smartest person, right? Um, there's so many big ideas and there's so many really cool things to learn and understand, but that is something that's a skill that I feel like is learned instead of something that people are bored with. So the, the more that you start developing that skill of understanding and comprehending and knowing what you don't know, um, I think that's very, very helpful for people in the space. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. I love all those points, first of all, with creativity, because I think that's an underrated skill required of software engineers. It's like when you think of an engineer, most people don't think, oh, they're like, 
super creative people, but it's the truth. They have to be. <laughs> yeah. And I also love your point about being curious. I chatted with Story, who's a technical marketing engineer, mm -hmm. um, but does some, some similar work. And she used the phrase, like, you have to be a lifelong learner. So mm, you remind like me of that. that when you mentioned, like, curious. And then this, this point of, like, comprehension, I think that could be really used anywhere in life. <laughs> the more specific... Um, the more specific people are with their like understanding of their own sort of gaps of understanding toward others, like whatever can assist them in asking the right questions. I think everyone's life would be more efficient if we all got more specific with our, our questions to others. So love these points, Shireen. I love these points. I'm switching gears slightly. I'm curious in your path, what do you, when you view back, when you look back on it, what do you think was like an absolutely necessary part of your path in order to become who you are today? Ooh, that's a very good question. I think I could answer that question technically and not technically. Um, but I think at first, in order to become a software engineer and to be on that path, uh, the one thing that I always tell people is you have to go through data structures and algorithms. Um, it's a little bit of a running joke because that's pretty much the main class that you need to take in order to get your degree. It's a subject that you will probably be asked on on literally every single interview that you will go through in order to get into the space. Um, sometimes you won't necessarily use all data structures and algorithms in the day-to-day -day work you do, but I do still think that it's part of the quote-unquote weeding process of trying to figure out if this type of understanding, if this type of um, thinking about problems and the way in which you solve them is meant for you, right? Um, so I try to tell people, take that class or take that um, like an online course or watch the videos or learn the topics as soon as possible. If you really like it, if you know how to work through the problems, and if that sense of a thinking style makes sense to you, amazing. Like this, this role can be very easily cut out for you. It's a very clear path forward. If you don't like it, and if you think that it's just like mentally straining to you, amazing. Good on you for figuring that out early instead of being stuck in that well on your way in your um, career or in college or things like that, right? So that would be my first piece of advice is to take that class as soon as possible, because I think that it really sets the stage up for you um, in this technical career. And I think you mentioned, uh, what was the second part of your question? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, 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 no worries. You, you totally answered my question. And I okay, love good. how you, you answered it in a way that, you know, you can do this thing and it's important for anyone anyone who's interested in exploring software engineering, whether or not they end up going with it. Mm -hmm. um, so I love your perspective on that question. But I did want to cover the flip side, which is, is there anything looking back that you're like, this just caused unnecessary stress and I did not need to do this in order to be where I am today? Or you could have no regrets, which I also respect. Yeah, I think um, that's a very good aspect of the question of the flip side of this was... I, if I did this again, I would want to do it differently, but it still helped me be the person that I am today. Um, in a non-technical sense, I think I stray to be a little bit more of a perfectionist and I try to do things as perfectly as possible, um, which is in and of itself not bad. But I do think that when you're in industry, there's a difference between trying to do the work that you're assigned to do in class for, you know, an A or running against certain tests or, you know, performing against a certain midterm versus in industry, there are a different set of criteria that you should, 
you are always trying to work towards, right? It's always um, trying to meet the time for the releases or talking to customers or trying to work with your team or things like that, right? A different set of frameworks that I think it took me a little bit longer to understand that, oh, this is the the switch in understanding or the switch in um, how I want to perform in order to do well here. So I think for the first couple of maybe a few internships and a little bit into my career, I was trying to do this perfectionist, like, let me get an A at work. Um, that doesn't work. <laughs> but it took me a while to figure out like, okay, we're not doing this for the sake of performing against paper or trying to do this as perfectly as possible. We are trying to do this so that we build relationships with customers so that we become a system in which people can trust in, right? Um, it's, it's a different set of under or a different set of criteria when you're trying to build a system for people, right? Instead of for papers and professors and things like that. So um, I wish I had learned that earlier and try to actively make that switch earlier. I think I eventually got there, but it would have been nice to have that a little bit early on. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I'm a recovering perfectionist myself. And so sometimes I forget in these settings where like, you're not supposed to be perfect, that mm -hmm. I don't have to, and you don't have to feel bad when something goes, goes wrong, or I should word that differently. You don't have to feel bad when like a, a lesson, an unexpected thing happens, or like a lesson is learned mm -hmm. from whatever happened. So definitely agree with you there. I think that's, that's a great point. Um, your answer there might bleed into this next question a little bit, but you've mentioned to me this idea of emotional awareness in the workplace, which I think could mean a lot of things. So I do want to dive in. What does it mean to you specifically to be emotionally aware at work? Yeah, um, this is a can of worms that I love opening. So <laughs> for me, whenever I talk about emotional awareness at work, it always starts from myself as an individual, right? Um, understanding my own emotions, understanding my own well-being, um, the things that I need to do in order to be fully present at work and not just fully present at work, but fully present for myself and out of that fullness it enhances and enriches the other parts of my life, right? So um, I think one of the ways in which I figured this out early on uh, during my internships was realizing that I could give my best foot forward at work, at school, to all these different people and clubs and communities and really show up for them, right? So I was getting up in the morning and thinking, okay, today I have to get ready and go to work and do these things. And when I come home, I have to show up at classes and show up at school. And then after I come back on the weekends, I have to show up for these groups and communities and things. And really the drive was I should do these things for the sake of other people's well-being, right? Their happiness, their um, the expectations that they've set. And I think there was a distinct moment in, uh, I think, senior year of college where I really flipped the switch and said, you know, what if I... What if I showed up for myself first? Like, what if I got up in the morning and thought, okay, I want to have a fulfilling day for me. I should watch what I eat and like be nutritious and good to my body because I deserve to put good fuel into my body. I should move around because it makes me feel um, happier be in the sun because it really enriches the space that I'm in and sleep eight hours or even more than that because I deserve to rest, right? Changing the script on that. And then out of this fullness of, you know, I'm fully present, I'm in the moment, I'm showing up for myself and feeling good and doing good things for myself and taking care of myself, going to work, going to school, going to see all these different people. And when I showed up for myself, as a result, 
everything else almost seemed to fall into place. And I was just a better person in those situations. Um, I was more creative at work. I was able to handle like unexpected problems with greater ease. I was able to understand uh, in meetings a lot faster and respond to things and have these discussions and questions. I was able to go home um, and talk with my friends and really switch off the work, uh, the work topics and really dive into conversations about like, what is your personal fulfillment? Like what makes you happy? Um, really be present with them in those moments. And then also in school and learn new things and be really fast there. But it, at the end of the day, I did the same exact things, but I showed up better for everyone else when I first started with showing up for myself. Um, and I think that is at its core what emotional awareness is for me, is taking a step back and really checking in with myself and saying, okay, where am I at? What do I need? It's okay if I'm not you know, fully rested or fully uh, fully here. All I have to do is commit to myself that I will take care of myself first and because of that, I will show up in every other aspect of my life and do so many better things because I've, you know, in a sense, put my own oxygen mask on first. Yeah, I love that answer. And it sounds like starting with yourself, like first and foremost, has helped in like every aspect of your life. It sort of like trickles down when you like take care of yourself, mm -hmm. you take care of all these other things that you're a part of. So I love that. I guess a follow-up question for me is, what do you think prevents people from doing that? I mean, you say it and it sounds, you make it sound easy, Shereen, but I know <laughs> no, like not. people don't always take care. I know. No, I know. I know. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious from your perspective and maybe from your past experiences too, like what do you think prevents people from starting with themselves and therefore being more emotionally aware in all their settings? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things is that sometimes people don't feel the need to. Um, I think for me, I really hit a point where I wasn't feeling happy with a lot of the work I was doing. And because of that, I had to make the switch of, okay, what will make me feel good at its very core about my needs before I can show up for everyone else. Um, so one of the phrases that we joke around with uh, sometimes in the space is if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? A lot of people have been cruising on autopilot when it comes to this type of self-care because it's worked for them in the past and maybe they don't have a need to really sit down um, and re-examine what their body needs or their mind needs to get to the point of reevaluating how it trickles into their life. Um, that's one thing that I've seen. I think another thing is that the time it takes to invest into something like this and just like being present with your own self, being present with your emotions and trying to figure out um, what you need and how to respond to those needs. I think initially it did take a bit of time. It took a couple of months for me to really attune myself to figuring out how my body works, how my mind works and how I could really enhance that. Um, and sometimes, you know, I... I make the comparison sometimes that it's like going to the gym for the first time. You really can. You can just walk in and do all of these things as you please, right? But um, people who have been exercising for a while or training for something big know that it takes a little bit more intention to start with the plan. And then after that, it usually forms into the sense of habit. Um, so reducing that, the barrier to being present with yourself, I think is something that is a little bit more of an investment that um, I really found helpful. I encourage everyone around me to do the same, but it really comes down to each person and the choice of um, whether they want that in that moment. And if that's something that they're willing to put um, intention into. While we're on the topic of, you know, your personal mindset, let's chat about growth mindset for a second. I think a lot of people have heard this term. It, it's a little, it got a little buzzy. I feel like a few years ago, like, 
oh, just have a growth mindset, but so people would use it without necessarily diving into what it means in general and then what it means for them in their lives. I know growth mindset is important for any role out there, really, but how has having one, if you'd say you've, you've had one, how has having one impacted you and your career journey? Yeah, um, definitely would say I have a growth mindset because I am not perfect in everything that I do, right? So in that sense, I have to grow in order to make um, myself better, my work better, and the places in which I show up better. Um, I'd say a growth mindset as it relates to career and those type of roles is really just understanding that you're not the smartest person in the room. But one, you don't have to be um, in order to get your role, in order to be present in the room, in order to give your ideas and have them be valuable. But two, it's also recognizing that the the place in which you want to be and the place in which your teammates want you to be um, will take time and it will take a bit of growth. It will be uncomfortable, right? Um, no one wants it, it's not going to be comfortable the entire way, right? The growth comes out of a place of uncomfortability. That's why we grow into these new spaces. Um, someone once told me when I was uh, doing the whole career journey of trying to find and decide on a place that I want to convert to full time that I was talking to them about um, a job role that I'd looked at and I was like, I, I don't think I fit this. I don't think I fit all of these criteria. I don't think I should apply or something along those lines of, well, is this really for me if I don't fit everything here? I don't want to. And the person said, you know, when someone looks at your resume um, and when they're trying to hire you, they're not going to hire you entirely based off of what they see, right? Because their perception of you should not be stuck in the person that you were when you graduated or the person that you were when you looked for a job, right? They're hiring based off of potential. They're hiring based off of the person that you could grow to be. And if their company is the place in which um, they can give you all the resources and things so that you could grow into the person they need. And I think that really reframed it in a good way of everyone's expected to grow um, in your career otherwise, but especially as it relates to your work. A lot of the times, the first couple of years out of a university, people will end up taking software engineering roles that are very entry level, right? And so that what that translates to is that someone else is making a lot of the design decisions off of a, a software or product that they know for a really long time. And you're there kind of learning the ropes and um, doing projects that other people have designed. But the more that you're there, the longer that you understand how things work and the team works, there is an expectation that you will start to contribute your ideas and ask, you know, like, why, why are we doing things like this? Like, isn't, maybe I have a more efficient idea. Let me bounce some ideas and see if this could stick or, Hey, I've been working on this area of the system for a while. I know it fairly well. And I think this is one way we can improve it. Right. Um, those are all aspects of growth. And the flip side of that too, is that sometimes you will have an idea or you will do a project and it won't go well. Right. If you, are in a role and it goes well for, you know, 20, 30 years. Amazing. You are the exception. I would really want you to clarify whether your result metrics are actually correct, right? Because there is something that eventually at the end of the day won't always go to plan. But what matters is not just, oh, that it didn't go to plan. How much did we lose? What What is the time that we wasted? But okay, what did we learn? Um, what did we learn here? What are the things that could have prevented this if we're looking back? And how can we make sure that a problem like this doesn't appear again? Because if it does, then it becomes a pattern and then we're ignoring that. So I think those are all different aspects of growth that um, a lot of people 
either have or learn to develop during their time here. And I think the sooner that you have it, the more grounded that you become in your own career so that things like this, um, you know, if a product doesn't go or a, a release or a feature launch doesn't go the way you want it to, right? Instead of moping around or being, feeling really, really guilty about it, which is something that I had to deal with a little bit early on in my career, I flipped that and said, okay, this did not go well. That's fine. I'm not expected to know everything, right? That's why I'm here. That's why I am learning from these experiences. How can I just do better next time? And how can I have the people around me also chime in so that maybe they could have caught this on earlier in the process too? It's all learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I would resonate and just agree with what Story said. We're all lifelong learners. You, everyone on the team, the people that you report to, right? We're all doing this together. And I think if we all have that mindset, it just makes it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. I think the the last point you made, I love, especially of this idea of like not feeling guilty when you mess up and rather like reframing that because if you like you mentioned you're, you're bound to make a mistake at some point because we are all human so the faster that you can learn to take those mistakes and like you mentioned like you emphasize Shireen um what did I learn from this rather than like oh my gosh I totally messed this up mm-hmm. everyone everyone hates me like <laughs> I I can't do this sort of thing that's not helpful but wondering what you can learn from it and like you mentioned how can I help others prevent this that's that's huge because then you're saving someone else a lot of time in the future as mm-hmm. well. So I love all these points. Um, switching gears a little bit, we're going to dive into a few more myths of software engineering in a moment. But um, I'm sure you've heard related to software engineers that a lot of people think they work in like a dark room, stare at a screen all day, <laughs> just like by yourself, not talking to anyone. I know that's not true. And I know that you talk to people, you have like a life outside of work, you're not working all all hours of the day, like you mentioned before, Um, you're able to like shut it off and have your own life. So how have you created those boundaries between work and life? Yeah, I think, um, I think one of the things that really helped me justify the boundary, because I I know that it is sometimes a norm for people to let life or work trickle into other portions of their life, right? If they're always awake, they always have their statuses on and they're always present at work. You can ping them at any given time of the day and they'll usually have a response. Um, I knew pretty frequently that if I had come into work with that mindset, I would burn out very quickly and that's not helpful for anyone, right? So understanding that separation away from work will help me rest and rejuvenate myself and come back to work the next day completely ready to take on the day and actually being more productive in the time that I'm back than if I was, you know, sitting on the computer for 12 hours straight. Um, That really helped justify and make that boundary. Um, I think Another thing that I really like to do is have friends that are very good at the work-life boundary themselves, right? If I hang out with my friends, um, a lot of them actually work at Google. A lot of them work at different product areas and different teams. Um, Some of them I've known for like a couple of years as soon as I started. And like last week or two weeks ago, I was like, wait a second, what team are you on again? I know we never talk about work. And I just realized I I don't know where you work, right? Um, Being able to have those conversations about uh, where we want to be or what type of, uh, you know, movies we like to watch or a lot of us like going on hikes or being outdoorsy, right? So 
Um, we have, you know, Friendsgiving planned. We got a bunch of hikes coming up. We got um, a lot of like small adventures in the Bay, you know, exploring the city or going around to beaches and things. And they're all engineers. They all work at Google. I have talked about work to them maybe like once a year, <laughs> realistically. So um, I think having people around you in a community that's also looking to grow, also looking for uh, things that bring them fulfillment in and out of the workplace really make it easy to find people that support you and also respects those boundaries of work life. Um, I have a friend who, whenever she hosts dinner for us, she says, leave your badges and your work talk at the door. (laughs) That's it. Uh, We're going to talk about literally anything else. And so that has been uh, very wholesome that people like that can keep you accountable Um, and just, you know, bring flavor into different portions of your life and help you try out new things that maybe your nine to five doesn't necessarily always teach you, which has been very helpful. Yeah, I think that's super important, like the people that you spend your non-work hours with, that they're on the same page too of like, okay, we're not talking about work. I think that's great. (laughs) I remember, I still remember my like first job out of college. We would sometimes have like barbecues or like hang out outside of work, but these are all Mm. like, these are all people on my team. And we would still talk about work like at a Mm. park or like away from our laptops. And so I love that you're sort of like able to draw this boundary um, when it's clearly not work time to be like, Mm -hmm. no, we're not speaking about this. I think that's a great idea for sanity's sake as well. Mm -hmm. So diving a little bit more into myths, Shireen, what do you think is a myth or a misconception about software engineering that you just want to debunk for people now? Yeah, I think um, one of the the very clear ones that I remember being in university and thinking is that um, the the clear cut path, so to speak, to software engineering or any like SWE role was that you go to university for four years, you study computer science or computer engineering, and then right out of college, you get um, a job and then you'd work at this uh, job as a software engineer and maybe switch a couple companies and then you just grow in your career naturally over time. And while that is traditionally true, the more I'm here, I'm realizing that is not all roads that come here, right? Sometimes it's really exciting and interesting to see people who end up as a sweet role or um, within this sphere without really much uh, experience in like technical experience otherwise, right? You don't necessarily have to have a computer engineering or a computer science degree to end up in this space. Um, You don't necessarily even have to be in a technical degree to get here. Uh, You can take courses or things or certifications online and have it count or even be more weighty than certain universities, right? You might not even have to go to a four-year university to get here. Some people end up at community college and they go through their different courses and they still have the experiences and roles to get here. Um, and the every single day I hear of more and more people making that switch, right? Uh, and that's really exciting. I have friends who come in from like psychology degrees or biology degrees. Um, sometimes they have a field of study in business or management or things. And when they end up in a SWE role, it's really interesting to also make that connection with their other experiences, right? So um, I, I would like to say that none of the experiences that you have 
are a waste of time or they go to waste when you switch roles, right? Because you still have that experience, you have an awareness that maybe not everyone else on your team or your product area or things will have. And because of that, you carry a new perspective into this next role that you have. Um, the person on my team who, or not on my team, but the person who I'm thinking of who had a psychology degree and ended up in software engineering is really able to consider why people think the way they think, why teams are reacting or, um, talking about certain decisions or things and leaning on certain uh, frameworks more than others and is able to really carry that boundary in the work that he creates, right? The people who have the biology degrees are able to talk about um, health and fitness as it relates to the Google products in those spaces in a way that I can't really speak to because I don't have that biology background, right? Um, The people who have the management or the business degrees are able to understand the way in which the company works and really are able to tell, you know, software engineers or their team members what they would need in order to champion them and to really advocate for them in those spaces, right? So it's all just this giant melting pot of experiences. And if you do think that your Walker experience is uh, not traditional in that sense, great. (laughs) That's amazing, right? That's what the rest of this company or the team or the world needs, right? It's this diversity of experience, the diversity of thought, I think is also super valuable. And that is something that is becoming increasingly common as time progresses. We're not fully there, but I think we're definitely making good progress. So um, would like to encourage people who think that their walk of life might be non-traditional in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that you debunked the sort of like traditional software engineers path. Cause I totally agree with you. Like things are getting more accessible. Things are going online. They're getting cheaper. So mm-hmm. learning how to be a software engineer or how, how to become one is I think easier than ever if people have the time and the energy to put mm-hmm. into it. So totally agree with you there. And you kind of touched on it at the end, but companies just like innovation overall in the world is better when people have different brains tackling the same issue. Um, mm-hmm. Cause you just come up with something like you mentioned, if you have like a psychologist and a biologist former on your team, <laughs> they're just going to think of things and come up with things that maybe you and I would never have considered. So love that. Love that myth that you debunked Shireen. Um, going back to you, what, what are you hoping for in the next step in your career? What's next for you? Yeah, I think um, in terms of my role currently, I am still a software engineer. I do a lot of the technical work um, as it relates to my team. But I think there are situations in which I am able to speak up and have people listen, which wild. I, you know, new grad Shereen would have never considered that she would be able to, you know, speak and actively help in spaces um, that have been here long before I have. Right. But really being able to understand the way in which the people of my team interact and the way in which um, infrastructure interacts with the external customers has been really cool and interesting. Um, There have been times where I've talked to my manager like, oh, I've noticed that we've done things this way. Is there a specific reason or what if we tried this thing? And he said, no, there hasn't really been a huge reason, but if you want to change it, you can go ahead and change it. And I'm like, 
this is a massive team and you're giving me permission to change these things and, you know, try um, to improve the system in the way in which you see. But I think it's that's been super exciting. So I really hope to lean into that um, a lot more and understanding not just the technical details of the system, but also the people behind um, being behind the scenes in infrastructure and being able to really change the way in which we interact with ourselves, our teammates, our customers, and really being able to bring a sense of um, fulfillment and like satisfaction, uh, both internally and externally, I think has been really cool. Um, can't expose too many details because most of it is behind the scenes, but I think improving those processes, uh, as best as I can and learning about how to do it for in other situations that I'm really looking forward to. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Becoming a, an expert, an expert in your realm. That's, that's always mm-hmm. exciting. And we're at the last question already, Shireen. Do you have any last words of wisdom for anyone interested in software engineering? I think the last words that I would probably say, well, you will find common threads in most of this conversation, but I think be more curious than you want to be perfect. Um, and that's coming from an ex-perfectionist, right? I think... Um, being able to learn and grow is so much more exciting and gives you so much more agency in the work that you do than it is to just, you know, polish it and make it as nice as possible. Um, I think less people are happy with as nice as possible and they want something that is maybe imperfect, but is as good as it gets. And so really being curious and being hungry for that curiosity um, has really been something that I think is valuable in this space. And I really hope that the listeners also find that valuable. Thank you for chatting, Shireen. Always, always great to talk to you. Of course. And to anyone tuning in, thank you for joining us. As always at Opal, we shine brighter together and we'll see you next time.